0: Amen. Thanks, Ben. Hey, our our children can slide out to Transformation Station. And hey, if you're new with us and you've got a child, and um, if you've already checked them in, you're welcome to to escort them down. Um, If you haven't checked them in, um, kids, fifth grade and younger, we've got a a spot for them downstairs um, in Redemption Kids. So you can just follow the crew down there and they'll get you squared away. Um, And also, hey, if you're new with us today... Uh, we would love to connect with you. So, I hope you received a worship guide on the way in. You'll notice at the bottom there's a, there's a connect card. If you'll just take a few minutes uh, sometime during the service to fill that out and drop it in the basket later, uh, we'd love to just follow up and thank you for worshiping with us today. Well, hey, let's grab our Bibles um, or turn on your phone, whatever device you're using. We're going to continue today in our study through Philippians. So, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If, if you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, that's on page 980. Well, my name is John Chasteen. Um, I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, here's what we're looking at today in Philippians 2. We're looking at one of the well-known Christological passages of the New Testament, one of the passages that teaches us a ton about uh, the, the work of Christ and the life of Christ. We're also going to look at a passage in here. We're going to see one of the key themes is humility. Um, and so in preparing uh, for this sermon this week, one of the books I read was a book by C.J. Mahaney called Humility. And in, in the very beginning of his book, he opens up and, and he basically says this. He says, writing a book on humility is a humbling experience. And, and he goes on and he says this. He says, um, there have been countless times while completing this book that I've been inspired to think, you idiot, what were you thinking? You know, thinking of all the people that know me and know I'm writing a book on humility. And, and so I'll just say, similar to Mahaney, I kind of feel like preaching on humility um, is a humbling experience as well. Um, and so from the outset, let me just share, I'm not, I'm not preaching today as an expert on humility um as Mahaney started his book, I'll I'll echo my same sentiments that say this. I'm a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. Amen. So I haven't arrived. In fact, this past week, as this text has been a mirror to my own life, um, man, God's been revealing sin. And so, man, I, I've had to wrestle with this text a week. And so um, man, I'm just a fellow pilgrim on this journey, trying to take steps to grow in humility. I'm, I'm inviting you guys alongside of me today. Um, but on a, on a kind of separate note, man, it is, it is hard to be humble when you've got the New England Patriots, um, you know, right here, the hometown New England Patriots vying to win their fifth Super Bowl championship since 2002. I mean, and you got a quarterback like Tom Brady. I mean, come on. Like, it, like I'm trying hard today to be, to be humble. I hear you, Aunt. Yeah, I hear you over there. Um, but hey, let me let you guys in on a secret. Many of you guys know, you can, if you don't know it, you hear my voice, you know, hey, this, this cat's not from Boston. Um, I grew up in North Carolina um, in the South. And so here's a little secret I want to let you guys in on. If you're not from New England, you hate the Patriots. Like in the midst of all of the political like dissension in our country, you know the one thing that's you not unifying our country? We're gonna hate the Patriots and we're gonna pull over the Falcons. Well, you know you guys also know, many of you know I played college football. So um it's hard not, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, not to talk a little bit about football. Um it shaped a lot. Um, of who I am today. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, but, you know, one of the things that the Patriots are known for, particularly Bill Belichick, um, is, you know, the challenge of a coach is you've got 53 guys. Some of them, it's your fir- their first year playing. For others, they're like vets. Some are getting paid bukus of money. Some are just like on the bare minimum, some got super huge egos, and it's like, how is this coach going to take all of these people and and get them pulling in the same direction? I think one of the, man, it, you can go Google it. Like, what, what's the secret to the Patriots' success? You're going to see articles, and a lot of it's going to come back to how Belichick, Belichick, and how he's unifying, and how he's getting all of these team members to buy in to the same direction. Um, well, When we come to the text today, you're you're, you're probably wondering, how am I getting from there to the text? Um, We are going to learn about the person and work of Christ, but there's actually a larger issue that Paul's concerned with. He's going to pick up this theme that Tanner laid out last week, and it's this theme of unity. A church unified around a common identity And a common mission can accomplish great things for the glory of God. I really believe that. And that is what's at the heart of what Paul is after here. So just imagine with me. Man, as we get ready to read the text, as we think about the unity displayed here at Redemption Hill, if we all really unified around this common identity and mission, how God could use us in this city for his fame. And so here's the deal. If we're going to cultivate this kind of unity, I mean, really the message today, I mean, though it's a deeply theological, it's really simple. It's this. If we're going to cultivate unity, we're going to do it by being humble and selfless like Jesus. It's simple, and yet this is probably one of the hardest things to do. Anybody agree? Well, let's go to the text here. Before we start reading in chapter 2, verse 1, I want to go back to verse 27. Look at verse 27 in Philippians 1. I'm just going to read it again, and it's going to set us on the trajectory to head right into chapter 2 here. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear... Here's what he wants to hear, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. His passion, his joy, he wanted to see them standing firm, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And that same theme trickles down when we start here in chapter 2. Verse 1, you're gonna hear this these echoes, this same mind and and this pursuit of unity. So Philippians 2, verse 1 says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage, as you can see, loaded with a ton of good truth here. We're going to break it down into two main sections. We're going to look at the first four verses, and then we're going to look at this Christ hymn, 5 through 11, um, wrapping up today. So in this first section, here is what this passage is calling us to do. It's this. It's we should pursue unity through humility. Pursue unity through humility. Let's just explain it. Let's just walk through the text here. Um, the main verb... And these first four verses is found in verse two, where Paul says, Complete my joy. That may sound or strike you as odd, like, hey, here's the motivation. Hey, guys, could you be unified? Because that would complete my joy. As we're going to see as we continue to study, really, what's important and prioritized here is not really the joy of Christ. We're going to see what's arising as unity and humility, but here's what Paul's doing. I mean, just like any father who loves and finds joy and delight, that his children are making wise choices and walking with God. Paul had such a relationship with the church. They, they were like his children. He's a father to them. And so that, that he, man, he, he, the one thing that was hindering his joy was this this idea of, of unity? And so he says, Would you make my joy complete by being of the same mind? In verse two, I'm come back to verse one. In verse two, we just see this repetition here. What, what is he after? He, here's what you can do: same mind, same love, being in full accord with one mind. You you see the repetition going on here. This isn't mistake. And Paul isn't doing this by mistake. He, what he's doing here, he's intended to awaken their hearts. to Say, hey guys, I don't know if you realize that or not, but this idea of unity is really important. And this is my prayer, and this is my hope. The mind, the mention of the mind here, by being of the same minds, linking back up to chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, that I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then as we see in verse 5, he's going to come back and he's going to say, Having, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ. So the pursuit here that Paul's after is that they would be unified in the church. And then going back to verse 1 here. There's been a lot of discussion over, hey, what's Paul referring to here? And verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, yeah, I mean, there's joy, there's encouragement that I know Christ, that, that I'm found in Him. If if there's any comfort from love, like whose love? Is, is this God's love, Christ's love, um, Paul's love? Any participation in the Spirit, any af- affection and sympathy? One commentator, he knows this. What's happening here is Paul is not giving us four Rational theological arguments, but rather it's a passionate pleading with them that they would respond to this call for unity. In fact, as we think through these qualities, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, maybe even 1 Corinthians 13 is ringing in the back of Paul's mind which says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. We're going to see that's going to be important as we talk about unity, right? Let me just pause here for a second. And really, why why is unity so important? As I I think about spiritual warfare, I can't think of anything Satan would want more than to divide a church. I mean, if all we're doing is bickering back and forth and fighting and dissension, you know what, we're going to be worried about handling conflict and you know what we're not going to be doing? Fulfilling the mission that Christ has given us to go make disciples of all nations. If he can keep us mad and angry at each other, he can keep us from engaging the mission of God. He can distract us through disunity. And Paul doesn't want that to happen for them. And he doesn't want it to happen for us. And so Paul's saying, guys, Would you get your mind straight? Would you get your head straight? And would you remember your common identity and your common mission? And and here's what he does. He says, look, here's the deal. My joy is going to be wrapped up in your pursuit of unity, and here's how you're going to get unity. First, he says this. If you're going to pursue unity, starting in verse 3, you got to crush selfishness. Verse 3, do nothing. And he really means that. Nothing. He's not just referring to Sunday mornings. He's not just referring to when you serve or in your small group. Do nothing. Would this characterize your life? That nothing that you do is from selfish ambition or conceit. That, that word conceit can just be translated excessive pride. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. He gives us the negative and then he gives us the positive. The negative is crush selfishness. The negative is don't just look after yourself. You see, the main obstacle to their unity and our unity is not our differences. I mean, look around. Seriously, I want you to look to your left and right. You can even turn around and look behind you. Man, it doesn't take a long look. We're different. You guys are probably laughing at my southern accent. Like, this dude's different. What divides us isn't our differences, it's our selfishness. That's what he's saying. This is what will kill unity in a church. Put yourself first. Be prideful. Listen to these warnings from Scripture. And if you want more, just go read through Proverbs. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says this, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will destroy a church. Not only that, it will destroy leaders. I don't know if you guys caught this in the intro, but go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Who does he write this to? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, overseers and deacons. You guys realize, in his intros to all of his letters, he never again mentions overseers and deacons. Why is he doing it here? I don't know. He doesn't do it in his other letters. We can speculate, but maybe it's this. Maybe Paul's saying, hey, and by the way, leaders, overseers, and deacons, hey, and as I'm sharing this with you guys, I'm preaching this to myself, hey, you're not exempt from the pursuit of humility. I heard you, amen, John, ready? We preach this to us as elders and all of us as leaders and deacons. Pride will destroy leaders. But look at this verse in James 4. God opposes the proud. Guys, we need to hear these and believe them. There's no way our church will receive the blessing and favor of God if we don't crush selfishness and conceit. Did you hear that? God opposes the proud. If we want to just pray for God's blessing, the past few weeks we've been talking about 2017 vision and committing and really owning that. We really want the blessing of God on our church. It's going to come by us becoming small and him becoming great. And if that doesn't happen, he's not going to pour out his favor and grace on us. He's going to oppose us. God opposes the proud. But you know what? Pride not only will destroy our church, it will destroy every single one of your relationships. Husbands and wives, pride will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationships with your classmates, with your co-workers, and with your friends. You know what? There may be even somebody here today that you're nodding with me on the inside and you're saying, yeah, I can tell you exactly what pride has destroyed. And maybe it's a relationship that it's your own pride. Either the pride in not forgiving somebody or the pride in not acknowledging that you did something wrong. Look, people, if, if you want to say, I'm following Jesus, well, then we've got to imitate our Savior, which means it's not about us. We've got to die. We are the biggest problem. Our temptation is to turn around and point the finger at everybody else instead of taking it and pointing it right back at myself. And when you look at through the Scriptures and you're talking about dissension and disunity, you know what the Scriptures point to? You may be the problem. Hey, before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, what do you do? That big log that you're looking past? Yeah, work on that one. C.J. Mahaney, in his book on humility, says this. The real issue here is not if pride exists in your heart. It's where it exists and how it's expressed in your life. As we all struggle with pride. And so let me just give you a few questions that I'm asking myself and and that you can wrestle with, a few heart-penetrating questions. Who are you primarily concerned about? Yourself or others? Whose interests do you prioritize? Yourself or others? Do you compete for people's attention and approval, or do you find it easy to rejoice in the success of others? Are you concerned with the needs of others? Guys, for unity to happen in our church, we've got to crush selfishness. The negative, put off selfish ambition and pride. But the positive is to put on humility. And so that's the second emphasis here is that we should crush selfishness selfishness, and we should cultivate humility. Jerry Bridges, in in his book, The Pursuit of Godliness, says this, Humility opens the way to all other godly character traits. It is the soul in which the other traits of the the fruit of the Spirit grow. Listen to these promises of Scripture. We looked at the ones on pride. Listen to these. And just pray that God help me to believe these. Isaiah 66, 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Check this. Humility draws the gaze of God. You want to draw the gaze of God? Pursue humility. This is the one of whom I will look upon. What about this? James 4.6 God opposes the proud, but then now we're going to finish it. But he gives grace to the humble. Humility not only draws the gaze of God, it invites the grace and kindness of God. And so if you want the grace and kindness of God poured out on your life, the pathway to that is humility. John Stott famous theologian, says this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Mahaney, he quotes this in his book and he says, as a result, he says, every Christian Each day should be planning the defeat of pride and the cultivation of humility. And it's got to be daily, because you know what? When you wake up in the morning, do you think pride's asleep? Look, sin never sleeps. And so this isn't like, okay, this is the humility Sunday, February 5th. I know the pages are playing, so it's a great Sunday to work on humility. You know what? Maybe even they lose tonight and we get another opportunity to work on humility. Who knows? Okay, I I, I hear you. But this isn't just the day for humility. It's a pursuit daily that I would defeat pride and that I would cultivate humility. So... Man, I don't have a ton of time to linger here because we still got a a huge theological section to jump into, but I want to just give you a few practical ways on how to do this. Number one, humble yourself daily before God. Just make it a practice to either physically get on your knees or in your heart just to humble yourself and pray. Here's what you can pray. God, help me to see myself the way you see me. Because oftentimes, you know why pride runs rampant? It's because we're big and God is small. But when we see God rightly, we see ourselves rightly. Here's another practical one. Read and tremble at his word. And you know what? That takes humility. How about this? As you read and tremble at his word, allow God's word to shape both your doctrine, what you believe, and your conduct and character, what you, how you behave. So it's not just read it, but you know what the prideful person says? Man, I know you say that, God, but man, I ain't doing that. The humble person comes to the Word of God, acknowledging God for who He really is, and says, okay, God says it. God, give me grace to apply it and do it. Third, confess any prideful ways. Just confess them, both to God and to those that you offend. Fourth, express thankfulness to God. One author, Michael Ramsey, says this, thankfulness is the soil in which pride does not easily grow. Pride grows from an ungrateful heart and an unthankful heart. So you want to crush that? Express thankfulness. And then look for ways to intentionally serve others. Put others first encourage others, and honor others. You know what? There's a lot of this going on in our church. So I don't want you to hear me today as if my assumption is that, man, we're all just wickedly prideful to the depths that we could be, and there's no humility here. In fact, there's a person in our church that was really encouraging to me this past week. It's a person that's pretty new. It's a person that found out that, that Lee and I were being placed with our second foster care placement and just showed up with a meal. Not only did this person show up at a meal, we didn't invite it at our place. Um, we've had multiple meals this week. And so we didn't, we didn't invite that. It's just been people lavishing on us. But this one person not only brought us a meal, they brought a meal to one of our friends that, this per, that she had never met broke her ankle, a foster care parent, and just wanted to serve her. Man, mean, I never met this lady, but heard the story and said, I want to go take her a meal. That's cool. And so, man, it's happening. My prayer is that more and more, what we would be known for when people step in, man, if you're new with us, I want you to leave, and you may never come back, but I don't want you to ever say, you know what, that was just a group of, of a bunch of prideful people but that you would taste and and you would say, you know what, they don't have it all right, but, but they're pursuing humility and they know who does have it all together and they're just following hard after him. Imagine. I mean, there's a lot, I mean, we're about to jump into some theological stuff, but just imagine like if we just really just applied verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others more significant than yourself. Mic drop, you know? Like, that's it. Like, let's just close up shop and go do it. And you're like, man, I want to go deeper into Christian. Like, get, really give me the meat. No, this is the meat. Go learn how to be humble. And and I'm, I'm preaching to myself too, guys. In case you forget that, like, this is what I've been wrestling with and failing and repenting and, and trying to grow in. So let's jump into this next section. So... That first section, man, if we're going to pursue unity, it's got to be through humility. But here's what Paul does now. He says, hey, and and you really want to know what humility, what that looks like? Look to Jesus. And so this last half, we're going to just spend our time enjoying this great passage. We're going to focus on, and here's the call, focus on and follow Jesus' example of humility. Focus on and follow Jesus' example of humility. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Hey, let me give you a few introductory thoughts here. Number one, people can, could write whole books on these next few verses. So what does that mean? Like, w- there's no way in the next, whatever, 15 minutes I've got that we're going microscopic detail. Like, you're going to be sadly left wanting for more. Okay, can you guys give me give me that? So I'm not writing a book here with you. You're probably thankful too you want to make it to the game tonight, all right? But 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 second, in addition to be being pretty deeply theological, there's some phrases in here that even scholars are like wrestling with. And so it's tempting to just look at this as as a as a passage for division and argumentation. And you know what? That would defeat the whole purpose of unity. So like, we're going to go through it, but I want you to remember Paul's goal here was not to say, hey guys, go, go get some good you know, division over this one. He was holding up Jesus and his hope was, look and go be humble and follow this example. Okay, you guys with me? All right. Well, let's jump in here. First, we have the command To focus on Christ's example in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Hey, when you see that word yourselves, the what's that referring to? Who's the you there? It's the church. Oftentimes we read scripture like John Chastine. Okay, John, you go have the mind which is yours in Christ. He's saying, the church, yourselves. This, like I know we're individually, like like receiving this word and reading it today, but it was given to the church. And he's saying, y'all, that's how we say it in the South. You guys, like collectively do this, not just individuals, but as a church, let's pursue uni- unity. And so we, you know, I gave a number of ways that you could crush selfishness and cultivate humility, but, but I left that one. I left the greatest one. You know what the greatest one is? well, it kind of falls under trembling at God's Word, but it's it's to come to Jesus. To renew your mind and reflect on Jesus and the cross. Because that's really going to crush pride. Earlier, we sang a song. You remember the lyrics? It went like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, finish it, my richest, Gain, I count, but loss and poor contempt on what? All my pride. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to come to Jesus and the cross, and that's what he's calling them to do. Come to Jesus, reflect on Jesus, renew your mind to think and act like Jesus. So these words here, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours In Christ Jesus. You may have a translation that says, which was also in Christ Jesus. And and the debate is over, is he talking about your position in Christ? Hey, this is the mind as a result of being united with Christ, that's yours? Or is he saying, look, this was the mind that was in Jesus, go imitate. And and so scholars can go back and forth on, you know, the reality is, is both of them can be true, My guess is the emphasis is probably on our position in Christ, but that doesn't negate, go imitate Jesus. Because he's being held up as, go imitate him. Go look at him. And so have this mind which is yours in Christ. And here's the content of what he says. Verse 6, here's here's the mind of Christ. What we see in 6-8 is Jesus' humiliation. And then we're going to wrap up in... And 9 through 11, and look at Jesus' exaltation. But within his humiliation, Jesus' humility, we first of all see his humble renunciation in verse 6. Let me flesh that out. His whole life was marked by humility. In verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. Let me first tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that Jesus appeared to be God, but he wasn't really God. No, he's saying Jesus was in the form of God. As we look at this passage, what Paul's doing is he's going back to eternity past. The preexistent Jesus who has been God, who will always be God. He is the part of the Trinity. There was never a time when Jesus was not. That's what we mean. Go back and read the Nicene Creed. They wrestled through this in the early centuries of the church and fleshed that creed out to affirm the divinity of Christ. So he's going all the way back and he says he was in the form of God. That's where he was. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another word for grasped here could be clutched. So think about grasping something or clutching. In other words, Jesus, as one commentator writes, refused to act selfishly. He didn't consider being God, ground, forgetting, but forgiving. So he was in the form of God. It's like he gave that up. As we're going to see, he emptied himself. But he said, think about it. For him to give that up, why? Why? Why did he do it? Why did he humble himself? Why did he come to this earth? Why did he, you talk about his humble renunciation, why? Why? If he doesn't do that, you and I are destined for hell forever. He considered others. You guys hear that? That's why it was to give and not get. And so he's considered others, which is driving his actions and what he's doing. Hey, here's a little sidebar. We need to go from graspers to givers like Jesus. Maybe that's another one of those heart-penetrating questions. Are you a grasper or are you a giver? So we've got his humble renunciation. We've got his humble incarnation, verse 7. So he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was with God from all eternity. He humbles himself. And what does it say he does? He emptied himself. He became a a servant and he became a man. This is another one of those texts. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Something called the kenosis theory is that what he did is he emptied himself of divinity. So he left divinity and he came to earth. And there's been all kind of heresies and the church wrestled with that for centuries. Look, The text doesn't say he emptied himself of divinity. What does it say? It actually explains what he means by emptying right in the text. What it means by emptying himself is that he became a servant. That he, being born in the likeness of man, to empty himself is to become a man. I love how um, Thomas Schreider puts it. Um, He says this, the emptying of Christ then consisted of an adding He emptied himself by becoming fully human. The text does not say that he emptied himself by surrendering his deity. It says that he humbled himself by adding humanity. He added humanity. And not only that, you know what? When Jesus, you look at his incarnation, look at his birth. Was it a noble birth? No, it displays humility. Look at his life. Was he he a king? I mean, we know he's a king. No, he's a carpenter, right? Like his life doesn't display extravagance. It, It displays humility. He took the form of a servant. A servant in that day would have been deprived of most basic rights. He became the lowest of society. Mark 10 says he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus exemplified humility by being born as a human in the very humblest of circumstances at that. And then we go on to verse 8, His humble crucifixion. You see, it doesn't stop there. Verse 8, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself. There's our word. That's connecting us back with, hey, you've got to cultivate humility. Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross as we we talk about the cross so often it often is, it's tempting to miss the the punch of it but death on a cross was one of the most degrading kinds of death known to man not only was it excruciating pain I man it was immensely embarrassing i mean you, you want to go get like naked, up on a cross, and they, like everything is just being exposed? You know, as I've read through this, and many commentators know, there's a pretty big parallel between Jesus and Adam. You see, Adam didn't humble himself. He actually exalted himself and wanted to be like God. Contrary, Jesus was God and He humbled Himself and became a man. Adam disobeyed and died. Jesus perfectly obeyed and willingly died so that you might live. He's actually the, the true Adam. He's the second Adam who's come to reverse all that the first Adam Lost. Look and meditate and focus on his humility. Guys, if we're gonna be a church that's known for making much of Jesus, we gotta become people who care much less about ourselves and consider others more important than ourselves. You know, over the past few weeks, Tanner's unveiled. Our 2017 vision, and, and, and part of the emphasis has been on let's all take story-changing steps. It's been an invitation into an invitational kind of life. But let me just think, I want you to just wrestle with me. You will not take story-changing steps if you don't die to yourself. I mean, one of the story-changing steps, hey, would you just serve once a month? You know what, for those who serve you've got to consider the needs of others. And a lot of our opportunities to serve here are not front and center and nobody sees you. And so you've got to die to yourself and serve. It, may, it means waking up a little earlier or preparing during the week. What about, about connecting with groups? Oftentimes we think of connecting with groups as something, well, man, if I get around to it, it would be good for me. But have you thought about this? Have you thought about connecting with a group is, is not so much about you, but about other people? That, that being in a group is about how are you going to care? That person needs you. That person that in that group needs to be prayed for, that needs to be cared on, that needs a meal dropped off. It's not just about you. And so maybe maybe you've been around here for a while and you're like, man, you haven't really connected with a group. Maybe that reveals more about your selfishness. And my goal here is, guys, hang it, I'm, I'm doing this in love, but I want you to wrestle with this. If we crush selfishness and we're fostering humility, we're going to be caring for others. We're going to be serving. We're going to be doing life together in groups and spending time together. And you know what? We're going to be sharing the gospel with people. Because to share the gospel with somebody, 12 irresistible invites, means that we're considering the needs of others over myself. Even the fear, what might they think of me? It's to lay that down and invite them into a relationship with Jesus. For those of you who weren't here last week, you may um, just bring it in. We had a map down here and just invited, hey, if you want to jump in and own this vision, come put a star on the map, just representative of of places you're going to extend invites. That map is in the lobby. Isn't it right, Pastor John? If you didn't get a chance to last week, stop by in the lobby and and drop that star on there. If you, man, if you gave an invite this past week and you wanna, the goal is that we're gonna leave it there every week. It's gonna be a picture of, man, we wanna pursue humility and extend this gospel and invites to all of those in our city. All right, I gotta wrap up. Let's go to Jesus' exaltation, verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. There's been no one exalted the way Jesus has been exalted. You go from a preexistent Jesus, divine, he comes down, he becomes a man, the lowest points on the cross, and now he's been exalted. And this gives us the upside down nature of the gospel, which is this, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's unique here is that the name that's given him is the name that is above every name. It's the name that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the Old Testament, this word Lord, in the Greek, it's the it's the Greek translation of the divine name for God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. So when, when you see that Lord in the, New, in the New Testament, it's the it's the Greek translation of that is now being applied to Jesus. Now, we know Jesus is, being, is God and has always been God, but now this, this title is heaping upon him everything that comes with it. He already had it, but if he's exalted. He is Lord. Jesus, if you're here exploring Jesus, here's one of the things you've got to wrestle with. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He is God. He is Lord. And one day, everybody is going to bow their knees to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some are going to do that in humility and joy. Others are going to do that with great anguish because they've rejected him as their king. But there's time right now, even today, if you haven't bowed your knees of your heart to say, Jesus, you come be my Lord. It takes humility. Because pride says, you know what? I got it all figured out. I don't need any help. But it takes humility to say, you know what? You're right. I don't have it together. I don't stand up before God. I'm a sinner. And I need you, Jesus. And to be saved, it's as simple as hearing, believing, and in faith calling upon him. Confess your sin. Ask him to forgive you and turn and follow Him. And if God is speaking to you today, He's opening your eyes, respond and bow the knee. You know, my guess is that as we've gone through this passage here, a lot of pride's been revealed. Man, it's what it's done in my life this week. And so here's what I want to do. I want to to end with some good news. You know what the good news is? Jesus is not only our example, He's our Savior. That cross that He hung on, He paid the penalty for my pride. Every single one of your arrogant, selfish, ambitious, conceited moments, He went to the cross for. And so here's the good news. My goal today was not for it to fill you up with a bunch of guilt and send you out. This is the gospel. The gospel is, as as that is being exposed, come to Jesus because he's paid for it. Confess your sin. So when, when the band comes here in a second and they play, maybe some of you just need to pray and confess sin to God and say, I just claim and believe that Jesus died for that instance of pride. And to confess it and God help me, would your spirit work in me to be humble this week and to follow the example of Christ. Come to the cross with bowed heads and broken spirits. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there's plenty of grace to be extended today. If you come to him that way. Let me pray. Father. God we thank you for Christ. God would you help us. To see ourselves the way you see us. God even yesterday. Uh, I know I was fighting pride. Pride to not admit where I was wrong. God, I pray for myself and for us that you would grow us so that we more quickly see our pride, confess our pride, and repent of our pride. God, would you help us to die? God, would you help John Chastain to become less significant at Redemption Hill? God, would you help us to see the needs of others? God, there's all kind of needs, even right now, that other people have that are here this morning. God, help us to see them. Help us to count them more significant than ourselves. God, help us to rally around this as a church, that it's not just a few people here pursuing humility, but, but collectively as a church, we're saying, you know what, humility's gonna mark Redemption Hill because that's what it marks our Savior. And that we're going to be a people passionate about Jesus, which means we're going to be a people who confess pride and pursue humility. So God, reveal sin in our lives. God, help us to cling and come to Jesus and find grace. God, would your gaze be upon us? Would your favor be upon us? For your fame and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.